And let's pray together. God, we come to you now from all kinds of places. And we look at our hands and we see they are empty of anything worthy to offer you. And so we offer you our lives. Lives of struggle and suffering, lives of joy and success, and everywhere in between. We just offer you our very selves. May you receive the offering that we are today, God. May you heal us and redeem us and restore us, that we might be surprised by life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it is great to be with you. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome back from Easter. It is good to worship a God who still surprises us. I'm so grateful for Avery's story as she talks about all the ways from middle schoolers to church friends to worship songs that God brought the surprise of life into her path. That's what we talked about last week, right? We're all just kind of on a path and sometimes it's a good path and it's a hard path and sometimes it's an exciting path and sometimes it's a boring path, but whatever path you're on, God can surprise us with life. Uh, we had a great Easter last week. I know a lot of you were here for that. Welcome back. I am celebrating so many things from last week. I'm celebrating hundreds of guests who got to hear the good news of Christ. I'm celebrating many who actually took a step toward Christ last week. I prayed with someone last week who said, I am on a destructive path and I want off. I want life. And so I prayed for him. Maybe you can pray for him as well. Somebody else said to me, I showed up in a dark place last week. I wasn't even sure I was going to come. But by the time we had finished that intro with all the drums, I just knew if Jesus was alive, anything was possible. And I hope maybe you or people you know had that experience last week at Easter. I'll tell you what else I'm celebrating from last week's Easter. I'm celebrating you all. I just want to say thank you. It, your faithfulness to the mission of this church and to God's mission through the church was so evident last week. Um, 800 of you all uh, worshiped on Saturday. So we would make sure we had plenty of room on Sunday. And it did and it worked. And thank you for that. Hundreds of you got up early than usual and parked far away. We, in every service, we had more than 100 cars that parked either down at Mount Castle or across the street, so we never had any problem finding parking for all of our guests on Sunday, and I'm just so excited about that. Uh, we sometimes struggle with parking on a regular weekend, and so I was very worried that we would have people show up for Easter services, not find a place to park, and just drive away, because that has happened to us many Easters before. But it did not happen last week, because hundreds of you parked and walked. Thank you so much for that. I do, though, in reflecting on Easter, I have one significant apology that I need to make. Um, in the message last week, in order to make the point that life can provide us with pleasant surprises, but it can't actually give us life, only Jesus can give us life, I made this suggestion, if you have a chance to buy a boat, by all means, you should buy a boat. I made this, and, and since then, I just want you to know, I have heard from many of you uh, messages such as this, Clearly, Ethan, you have never owned a boat. 
The real surprise in life is when your friend buys a boat and they let you use it. Actually, owning a boat is not a surprise. It is a money pit from which one can never escape. Um, I also got several versions of this message. Um, can you please tell my wife or my husband or my kids that we cannot afford a boat? We do not have time to take care of a boat and that you do not have a special word from the Lord about our possible boat purchase. So let me go on record. I have no such special word from the Lord that was intended to be a moment of levity. Um, the only word from the Lord I have about your boat purchase is if you do buy a boat, please let me borrow it. That's all, that's all I've got. Um, but in addition to talking about boats, we talked about some pretty big stuff last week. We talked about the reality that God still wants to surprise us. Whatever path you're on, God wants to surprise you with life. And that is where the surprises that God has for us in our lives, it always starts there. The first surprise God has for us is the life that comes through the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That's where all the surprises start. But interestingly, the next surprise God has for us is, I think, su surprising. You might be surprised to discover how God wants to surprise you. In the Bible, there are four books that tell the story of Jesus. And um, we, we've been talking about one of them, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And it ends with the great surprise, Jesus is alive. But Luke didn't just write one book, he wrote two. And the next book he wrote is a book called Acts. And the book of Acts continues the story where Luke left off. We're going to look at the book of Acts a little bit. If you want to grab it in your Bibles, we'll actually start in Acts chapter 1. We'll be there a little bit today. And we're just going to race through several little spots in the book of Acts because what I want you to notice is that immediately after we are surprised by the resurrection of Jesus... We are surprised by God's church. And I just want to talk about a few of the ways, a few of the surprising realities about God's church that we see revealed in the book of Acts. The, the first surprise for me is who God picks to, to, to lead the church. God uses the timid, faithless disciples. The, the same people who denied Jesus and gave up on Jesus and abandoned Jesus, the ones who didn't believe the women when the women came and said Jesus is alive, those disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit to move a church on mission. Look with me, the, the, the first chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, that's not for you to know. The times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Surprise! I'm going to start a church, Jesus says, and I'm going to use you to do it. 
And this still is the surprising truth of the church, that God still uses timid, faithless disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance a church on mission. I'm always just struck by that. I actually continue to be just a little bit surprised that God would use us, you and and me, that, that we're the people God would use to advance the mission of God, maybe, maybe somebody's here today and say, I don't know, I don't, I don't think it could be me. I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm strong enough or faithful enough or, or whatever enough for God to use me. And God's like, no, surprise. This is who I'm gonna use. You're who I'm gonna use. Broken people like you, messed up people like you, faithless people like you, doubting people. It's the only kind of people God has ever used. I think maybe the reason God uses such sort of doofuses to advance the mission of the church is if God used amazing people, well, then everybody would be like, oh, that's probably because they're so amazing. But if God uses people like you and me, oh, everybody's going to know, oh, that was definitely God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if if that group of people succeeds, that's totally the Holy Spirit. That can't be them. You know, and and that's why God works through us. Surprise number one, God uses people like us to advance the mission of the church. The next thing that surprises me when I read through the text, in Acts chapter 2, they, they preach their first sermon. And I'm surprised by the message of the church. The message of the church is the person of Jesus and the hope we have in him. The message of the church is not you need to clean your life up and you need to get better and all that. The message of the church is Jesus. You could go read in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this long sermon, but the sermon ends this way. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message, what message? The message about Jesus were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And this is still true. And it's still surprising that the message of the church remains simply the, who Jesus is and the hope we have in him. The Christian faith is about Jesus, who he was and how he came and what he accomplished and how we respond to Jesus. What did Peter say? We repent and be baptized into Christ, and it's just stayed this simple. And I know, I, I know, I know that sometimes we Christians get tempted to make it about Jesus plus something else, right? And some churches do that, right? It's about Jesus and politics, or Jesus and one nation over another, or, or Jesus and the environment, or Jesus and whatever you want it to mean. Jesus and, but, but the surprise is that the, the church... God founded, their message was just about Jesus and who he is and how we respond to him. In that same 
little thing from Peter was another huge surprise. And, and on that day, it was maybe the biggest surprise. They, they probably weren't surprised Peter talked about Jesus. That they probably saw coming. But there at the end, he surprises them by letting them know that the church is for everyone and the church is against no one. It was right there in Acts 2 verse 39. He says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, this idea was hinted at before, but it's only through Jesus and the work of the church that we get the clarity we've been waiting for, that the love and grace of God is for everyone. Not for some special group of people, not for one tribe or one nation or one race or one creed, but the love is for everyone. We say that a lot around here. We say that God is for everyone, so we're for everyone. I'm even wearing the t-shirt. Guess, if you want a t-shirt like this, stop by the connection kiosk. We've got one for you. We'll give you a t-shirt that says for everyone. Now, I want to be clear. When we say we're for everyone... We don't mean we're for everyone like the Golden Corral is for everyone, right? The Golden Corral is for everyone in this sense. If you go to the Golden Corral, you're going to find something you like. I mean, everybody likes something at the Golden Corral. They got, they've got something for everyone. That's not what we mean. I mean, we're fully aware that, you know, if, if what you really want is organ music and you show up at this church, we don't have a lot of organ music and you're going to be terribly disappointed and you should probably go find a church with a lot of organ music. I get that. We don't mean we're for everyone in that sense. We don't mean everybody's going to be, like everybody's going to like us. That's not what we mean when we say we're for, we're for everyone. No, that's not what we mean. We mean we are for everyone. We mean that even if you don't like us, we like you. If you, know, if you don't love us, we love you. The, the Bible teaches that, that God's church has no human enemies. Uh, Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The church has no human enemies. So somebody else, they might say, I'm an enemy of the church. And the church responds, well, you may think so, but we don't think so. We love you. We're for you. We want good things to happen to you. We want you to come to know Jesus. We want you to be transformed. We want you to be, uh, to be uh, to reconciled to a God who loves you. Complete surprise. Every other religious movement before, if you say, if somebody said, we're your enemies, and like, okay, well, we're your enemies. Total surprise to have an organization that exists to love those, even those who don't love it back. Completely surprising. Here, here's another surprise. After this big sermon, we, we, see the, the, we see the church begin to live together as a church. And again, unlike almost every one of the world's religions, they don't develop any new complicated rituals. They don't do, develop any new complicated um, you know, formulas for how to live. The life they develop is the life of a simple community marked by love for God and love for others, teaching believers to follow Jesus and telling everybody about the resurrection. 
The simplicity of the early church's rhythm is genuinely surprising when you compare it to all the other religions of the world. We've got a couple of descriptions of it. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Maybe if you're following along, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just, just, just notice how simple the life described there is. No complicated pilgrimages, no elaborate ceremonies, just life together. Acts chapter 4 has a similar description. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed they had any possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. I just want you to observe how simple the rhythms of the life of the church were. They met weekly for worship and study, sharing the Lord's Supper together. They cared for one another inside the church, and they cared for others outside of the church. And they persisted in proclaiming the message of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this is still true today. Uh, the, the, the rhythm of the life of the church is a remarkably simple rhythm. Love for God, love for others, teaching believers, and telling everybody about the resurrection. In, in fact, if you want to know more about this church, like say you're curious, you know, what's the deal with First Christian Church in Johnson City? What's their deal? Well, I would say come to our class. We've got a lunch for you next week. It's called First Things First. And at that lunch, we'll talk about what we call the DNA of FCC. And you're going to recognize it because it's that same stuff. We say we love God, so we live as worshipers. We love everyone, so we live as servants. We make disciples, so we live as disciples. We tell our stories, so we live as missionaries. And if you wonder, where do we get these four things that mark this? this community today? Well, they're all commanded by Jesus. Jesus commands, love God, love your neighbor, make disciples, and be my witnesses. So they're all commanded by Jesus, and they are the life rhythm we see in the first few pages of the book of Acts, this super simple rhythm. More surprises, just a couple more here. This one is a surprise I love. I have borne witness to this surprise in my own life. We see it in the Bible as well, and that's this. The church runs towards suffering and not away from it, bringing love and compassion and presence. You know, this is the, this is the thing we say about first responders, you know, firefighters and police, EMTs, right? When there's a crisis in your community, they run toward it while other people run away. Well, the church is like that throughout the whole world. I love this story. Acts chapter 11. Uh, the church has grown now. We've got a church that's uh, grown up in Antioch, which is a big, rich city. And some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. 
And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. See, what they knew is when this famine hit the Roman Empire, Antioch was going to be fine. Antioch was rich. They would just buy grain from Persia, which was exactly what they did, but not Jerusalem. When the famine hit the Roman Empire, Jerusalem would be in a tough spot. They were not rich. They had limited trade routes and limited access to food beyond what they could grow in their own region. And so they knew it was going to be bad news for the people of Judea. And they had a prophet who predicted it. Instinct would say, well, in that case, stay away from Judea. It's going to be bad. But not the church. The church said, okay, we better go. There's a crisis. And I just want you to know that tendency has remained a mark of God's church ever since that day. Throughout the history of the world, you find a disaster and you wait two seconds and you're going to see the church show up. I have seen this happen again and again and again in my life. I was talking with a guy not long ago about one of these disasters we've had recently and they were talking about how One of the bizarre features of it was because of some fighting between some politicians, they couldn't get the thing declared a disaster thing at the federal level. And so FEMA money wasn't coming and the National Guard wasn't showing up to fix things. And I said, oh, so did everything just stay bad? They said, oh, well, no, no, no. The church still showed up, so we were fine. And the roads got cleared and houses got rebuilt. And some of you have done this. You just jumped in a van with a bunch of church folk and driven to where there's been some disaster. And this is just true all over the world. But it's not just true at the macro level, though it is true at the macro level. It's also true at the personal level. That was Avery's story, right? In in a moment of suffering, the church just showed up. And and, and we could take the rest of our time together and just go around the room. And hundreds of you could stand up and testify, oh yeah, that's what happened when I suffered. That's what happened in my trial. The church just showed up for me. The church runs towards suffering. Last thing I'll say, and I've got a bunch more, but not enough time to tell you all the surprising things I want you to know about the church. But I'm just going to tell you one more because it's so dear to my heart. You will be surprised to discover that the church is a community of moral challenge and not a place of moral condemnation. In our world, we sometimes get confused and we think those are the same thing and that you can't separate those and that if anybody ever challenges us to live better and live more in line with God's word, they must be condemning us. But no, they aren't the same thing. Uh, we could look at so many scriptures about this, and, but maybe just, just one that's relatively short is from 1 John. From 1 John. He says this, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I will just say, just personally, um, this surprise is one of the most important to me personally If the church was a place of moral condemnation, I would just be out Um, because I'm not a very good person. Uh, I have a legacy of sin and rebellion and faithlessness and doubt and cruelty and arrogance and pride, just, just all throughout every part of my life. And if the church was a place that saw sinners and cut them off and cast them out, well, I would just be gone. 
I'd be out. But also, if the church wasn't a place of moral challenge, it would be useless to me. Because I don't want to stay broken. I mean, I am broken. That's why I need a place that does not condemn me. But I don't want to stay broken. And that's why I need a place that challenges me, that that calls me to more embody the likeness of Christ. And I just want to say, everybody I know needs that. And I I will just say, if you've ever been a part of a church that, that failed you in one of those ways, I'm real sorry. A church that led with condemnation instead of challenge, that happens, I'm sorry. Or a church that just ignored your sin and just kind of let you just kind of keep destroying your life and didn't call you to something better. I'm, I'm sorry about that because that's not who the church is. In fact, that makes me say the one other thing I have to say, which is not a surprise at all. The church is a place that falls short of God's design for the church. I mean, that, all those great things I just said, you'd be surprised to know that the church focuses on Jesus, not anything else. You'd be surprised to know that the church is a place of grace and challenge. All those things, I, I gotta admit, if you're sitting there telling me, well, not the church I went to, I know, I know, I'm sorry. The church is a place of, and, and this isn't new. Like if you're wondering, like, I bet the church back then was great, but the church today is messed up. No, from the very beginning, the church has fallen short. Ananias and Sapphira got got greedy. Paul and Barnabas had a fight. The Galatians slipped back into legalism. Peter got judgmental. The Thessalonians got lazy. And this is true today. No church is perfect. This church is not perfect. Uh, In fact, I I know this church is not perfect because if this church were trying to become perfect, the first thing they'd have to do is fire me and find a perfect pastor. Like as long as they keep me around, we're not gonna be perfect. And that's true for you too, you know. You know what they say about perfect churches is you could never be a part of one because they wouldn't let you in, you know. Um, And so the church isn't perfect. But I can testify that every one of those surprises I mentioned, every one of those surprises I have seen in this congregation. We did a thing. I mentioned this um, at the Easter service, uh, we did a thing in, back in January where I asked people to pass out some three by five cards to a bunch of people and I asked them to write down, I asked them to write down uh, a place that they had been surprised. And a bunch of people wrote things about where they'd been surprised by life and surprised by God. But dozens and dozens and dozens of people wrote down how they had been surprised by this church. I just want you to hear a couple of those. Somebody wrote, I was surprised by just how much food was brought to my house after my surgery. I was surprised that this community stuck with me through my depression. I was surprised to find in the church a second family when mine exploded. I was surprised that I was rescued after I was divorced. I was surprised that the church equipped me and trained me, trained me, and now I am out changing the world in our community because of how this church equipped me. The church wrote me cards when I lost many family members in a row. I was surprised that the men in my Bible study showed me grace again and again and again, but they also did not let me settle in my brokenness. 
I was surprised that it was in the church I found mentors in every season of life. Somebody wrote this, first Christian church surprised me when they didn't judge me. The church gave me a godly mission for my life. The church was an essential partner in raising my children even when they went crazy. The church stepped in and challenged me. Oh, I love this one. The church stepped in and challenged me when I was about to walk away from my marriage. Thank God they did. My marriage is strong now. Got this in an email from a local nonprofit leader. It was a forward of a forward of a forward, but I read down to the bottom and they were writing to a member of our church. They said, hey, I just found out you go to First Christian Church. I love that church. They show up. I like that. They show up. The first surprise God has for you is life. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is yours through Jesus Christ when you trust in him. That's surprise number one. Whatever path you're on, God wants to surprise you with life. And when God does that, God also wants to surprise you with the church. This is why I'm never timid to call on people to support the work of the church. It is the way God wants to surprise you and surprise the world. We we need to multiply the church. We're going to talk later in this year about how we're going to plant more churches and multiply the church. There are not enough churches in our city, in our region, and in our world. We need to commit to the church. Again, I I know some of you want to say, Ethan, you don't understand. I committed one to the church before, and I didn't get any of those surprises you talked about. I got bad things. And again, I'm just so sorry, but that is not what God wants for you. And I do not believe that is what you will experience in this church. And so I would just say, commit to the church. Do the, do the simple things, right? Meet, study, pray, break bread, share, serve. That's just, what the, that's just the things. It's not complicated. Just do the things. Maybe today you even need to join the church. You've just been sort of sitting at the edges. And you're like, oh, God wants to surprise me with life. And God wants to surprise me with the church. And maybe you just need to say, I, I will receive that surprise. I'm going to commit to God's local church and expect to be surprised by the goodness of God through the local church. I'm not sure what you need today, but I'm just going to pray right now for us that we will open ourselves to the surprise of God's goodness. Let's pray together. God, we come to you right now asking that you would surprise us with life, asking that you might, God, surprise us with the church I pray for those who need to take a step with the church today to, to d- just decide. I'm just going to show up and see what it's about. I'm going to go to the class and learn about the church. Or maybe today's the day that you join the church and say, this is my church home. I'm going to commit to receive the surprise of your love through God's local church, just as you designed us. Whatever that is, God, we just pray right now that you would move in us. Let us worship with you as we open ourselves to the surprise of God for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.